Welcome to another episode of the Western Lit Podcast. This is your host, Robbie of the One Name. Hi, everyone, and this is my podcast for today. It's going to sort of try to pull together some things from last, the last reading, chapter 6 through 10, and then move into talking about some things from this reading. I have, as part of this, attached a uh, an example of a really good art piece of artwork that I hope you take a look at. A guy named Graham Kelly, who graduated last year, he made a really nice drawing, painting that illustrates something. So I often start class... Um, uh, with uh, after we read chapter six through ten with this quiz, and I say, hey, here. So this was the last paragraph you read for the reading assignment today. Um, here it is. She gave one loud cry, then with white face staring hard into my eyes, she said, "But this is it, Oriole. It is here. You are standing on the stairs of the great gate." And then I ask people to explain the meaning and significance of the passage. And, and try to explain who is speaking, who is, who is saying what, and what they're talking about. What is this? What is it? Um, so as you know, having read through to the end of chapter 10, and then on in through to chapter, what, what are we up to? Chapter 15, I believe. Um, you know uh, that this is Psyche speaking to Oriole, uh, as she has made her return, uh, her, her, uh, not her return, her first visit up the mountain and discovered that Psyche is alive. And as they talk, um, she promises to take Psyche, Psyche promises to take her sister Oriole, um, into, into her glorious palace that she's apparently been living in. And Oriole, Oriole says, okay, go ahead. You know, I'm amazed at the story that you tell me of how you survived and what all these wonders that you've, you've told of me, you know, the West Wind coming to help you or whatever. Um, Oriole's suspicious of all, of all of this, but still she's, she's, uh, she's astonished that here her sister is. And, and then she says, okay, you know, so take me, take me to, to this palace and to this, this, uh, this place in, Psyche says, what are you talking about? We're standing, we're standing on the gate of it. So clearly, as you can, as you see kind of somewhat depicted in uh, Graham's uh, painting, uh, Oriole on the black and white side, left side of the page, uh, Oriole depicted as, um, you know, uh, kind of a life without color, I guess. A river separates them, or a stream separates them, and Psyche is pointing at this glorious, glorious, huge um, castle, palace, or whatever, and uh, inviting Oriole in. So this is this is the divide that separates them. What what is real for Psyche, what she believes is truly real, is uh, is um, just not there for Oriole. She just doesn't see it. Well, as you read on, of course, you see what happens uh, with that. It turns out, of course, not not spoiling anything, right? Turns out that it actually is there. The Psyche story actually has some kind of powerful merit to it. She, Oriwell, does see the palace that very same night in chapter 11 through the fog and wonders about it. And then uh, later on actually doesn't just 
see the palace, but sees the face of of a god, and um, hears the god's voice speak to her directly, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, that's 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 a a bit of it. So I want to read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> he says this. The heart of Christianity is a myth, which is also a fact. The old myth of the dying God, without ceasing to be a myth, comes down from heaven, the heaven of legend and imagination, to the earth of history. It happens at a particular date, in a particular place, followed by definable historical consequences. We pass from a Balder or an Osiris dying nobody knows when or where, to a historical person, crucified. It is all in order under Pontius Pilate. By becoming fact, it does not cease to be myth. That is the miracle. God is more than God, not less. Christ is more than Balder, not less. We must not be ashamed of the mythical radiance resting in our theology. We must not be nervous about parallels and pagan Christs. They ought to be there. It would be a stumbling block if they weren't. We must not, in false spirituality, withhold our imaginative welcome. If God chooses to be mythopoeic, and is not the sky itself a myth, shall we refuse to be mythopathic? That's the end of the quote. So Lewis on myth, on the power of myth, saying Christianity is the one true myth. Myth being a really important story about like origins and um, the meaning of life. A story that a, a culture tells itself to make sense of who it is. He says it, it is that, but it also happens to be a fact. And that we have this parallel, many parallel kinds of stories to the great Christian myth. Um, uh, that we have, we have many mythic stories like it of a dying God. He says, not a problem, right? It's like we, we are seeing through a glass darkly or, or people are um, have eternity written in their hearts, if you will. And they're attempting to make sense and they see a, a glimmer of it somewhere and then... And then, at, a, at the certain point in history, here comes the myth become fact. God makes it happen in reality, in history. And he says we should, God is mythopoeic, poesis, mythopoeic. Um, poesis means maker. God as myth maker. God chooses to be a myth maker, mythopoeic, a poet, poetry maker of, of myth, right? Poesis is to make or to create. If God is mythopoeic, then shall we refuse to be mythopathic? Shouldn't we be sympathetic? Shouldn't our emotions be connected to um, myth, sympathetic to the, the mythic power of, of the story? So think about that. This is C.S. Lewis's novel called Till We Have Faces, a myth retold. Think about what he's doing. He likes to smuggle theology christian theology into the stories that he tells and in a much much um, less sophisticated way he does this powerfully through the chronicles of narnia here 
is a is is a is a novel um, that is probably doing the same thing a, a myth retold. Think about how Lewis is retelling an old myth, Cupid and Psyche, for his own purposes. So think about that. Let that resonate with you as you read along. So here's what happened. You read chapters six through ten. Here here is what you read. The king will not. I mean, you read it for last time, and then I'm going to summarize. Uh, uh, 11 through 15 as well. The king is not going to heed the attempts of Oriol and the fox to save Psyche, who has been declared the accursed, you remember, by the by, by lots drawn by the, the, the priest of, of Ungit. So he mocks, he, the king, mocks Oriol's offer to take Psyche's place. Um, we have Redival's probably false grief over what has happened. Um, she is somewhat at significantly at fault because she's gone and tattled to the priest. Oriol, through Bardia's help, arranges to visit Psyche. She is uh, locked up alone and awaiting the day of sacrifice. So in chapter 7, Oriol and Psyche talk in the latter cell. Psyche is unafraid. She wonders about the nature of the gods. Oriol is frantic with grief and she, grief, and she protests her love. She chides Psyche for not reciprocating it. Psyche confesses this fascination that she's always had, even an attraction that that death has sort of always had for her. And it's it's strange. And can you imagine what it would be like to be Oriole to hear your sister talk like that? But it goes back to Psyche's old yearnings for um, something beyond. There's always the sense that there would be in her imaginings when she was a little kid. Uh, going to her, her to, to, to meet her, to marry a, a, a great king who lived and built a house for her on the mountain. She always imagined that. So she's e she somehow has, in, in this moment, become eager for the moment. Like she's going to what she has felt she is fated for. And that going up on the mountain seems like not going away, but like going home. Can you imagine what that would feel like for Oriol, who has poured her love into her all of her life and cared for her as she's been motherless and served as her Maya, her 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 uh, adopted mother, if you will, as 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 Oriol, uh, as Psyche's half sister. Chapter eight: Oriol is bruised from her father's angry handling of her. She becomes ill. She grows delirious. Um, she sees the procession depart with Psyche for her place of sacrifice on the mountain. She's ill and unconscious and has bad dreams for many days. She then is nursed back to health by the fox. And, of course, it rains. And gloom is restored. This is what they were waiting for. There was a, you know, a drought and pestilence in the land. And this is what, so it seems that the, uh, the great sacrifice of Psyche has apparently solved the immediate problems. Oriole resolves that she's going to go up the mountain to recover Psyche's remains, give her proper proper burial. Chapter 9, Bardia seeks to distract Oriol from her grief by giving her lessons in swordsmanship. It turns out Oriol is a natural. He agrees to go with her up the mountain, and during the trip, Oriol feels this joyous mood trying to break through, but she deliberately rep represses this joy in order to be faithful to her grief. They reach the tree where Psyche was apparently sacrificed and apparently bound, and they can find n no trace at all that she was there. They're uneasy, dismayed, uh, befuddled, so they search 
and near, nearby they find a ruby that Psyche had worn to the sacrifice. And then they explore a little bit further and they discover a secret valley. And in that secret valley, there stands very much alive, very much healthy looking Psyche. Chapter 10 then relays the interviewer, the interactions between Oriole and Psyche, who is alive and well and, and happy. She recounts in detail the day of the sacrifice that she, as she lived it. Long after everyone had departed and left her bound to that tree, the west wind came, the west wind as a person, came and carried her away to the, the palace of the god whose bride she was to become. Invisible servants came and attended her, and at, at night in her, 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 her glorious chamber, the god comes to her. Oriole's incensed, and she demands that, that, that Psyche show her the palace. Psyche is amazed, saying that, you, what are you talking about? We're standing right here on the main stairs. But Oriole sees nothing but a mountain meadow. Okay, so one of the questions I like to ask in classes is, is, uh, is, is this. After you read these, these 10 chapters, and you did the, the online lit circle, and I want to just say you did a, we did an overall really good job with that by online lit circle, the online discussion where you posted a passage that expressed from either chapter 7 or chapter 10 that expressed Oriole's uh, love and then commented on them, and you interacted with each other. I hope you learned from what other people posted. That is the point of that. It's kind of supposed to simulate something we would do in class. I wouldn't make a lot of comments on this, but I might highlight a few of the passages as, as we talk here and a few things that people said to the whole class. But one of the things I like to do at this point in the, sto in the story is ask this question. What, what is this old, dying, lonely, bitter queen who's telling us this tale as a complaint against the gods. What, what, is she, what is she revealing about herself and her experiences that cause you to actually sympathize with her? To invite you to practice what, what, what are called the hermeneutics of charity or the hermeneutics of love. Like, enter in empathetically with Oriole and feel what it might have felt like to have your sister who you love and have cared for and just really, I mean, just given everything and you would die for her, right? Suddenly seeming like she's passed over into this other realm uh, and, you know, doesn't seem to need you anymore. Uh, or, or, or she still expresses her love for you. She still says she cares for you, but it's like it doesn't seem, how would that feel? What are, what, are the, what are the details that are presented that cause you to question, um, that, that cause you to uh, sympathize with her? But there are other details that she's presented that cause you to question her perspectives and to be suspicious of Oriole's motives that, that give you pause and make you wonder if she really does actually have a slam dunk case against the gods. So on the one hand, practice the hermeneutics of charity and empathize and feel with Oriole and just like get into her mindset and like what must it feel like to see and by the way when we get into the next section right you you you, you see your sister standing there in the rain saying I'm not getting wet I'm standing inside my palace but you sit there you stand there what would you feel how would you feel right um uh in in, in that case how would you feel 
when you come to comfort your sister, knowing that she's just been taken up to a chamber in chapter seven and she's told you're basically you're going to die. And she turns around and is, is you're there to comfort her and you're there to like, you know, lament and, and, and just whatever. And she's there talking about, I've kind of always had this expectation that I, I had some other greater destiny and maybe this is it. How, what would you feel if you were Oriole? So practice the hermeneutics of charity on one hand. On the other hand, and a lot of you kind of did this in the quotes that you, you, you shared, I say practice the hermeneutics of suspicion. What are some of the things that make you question Oriol's motives, that give you pause, that make you wonder if she really, is she, is she really reading and understanding who the gods are and what they are doing? I mean, especially now as you get into 11 through 15, you start to see it seems like maybe the story Psyche is telling. There's more to it than Oriol wants to give credit. I'm suspicious of Oriole as a narrator of these things who is deeply bitter, angry, looking back, and she's giving us these details, but in some ways she's revealing an awful lot about herself that makes me question, what's this really about? Does she see clearly what these gods are, are and what they're doing? Does she see herself clearly? Does she see her sister clearly and understand? So those are some of the questions I like to ask. And, Reflect on those. I think that's worth worth your time as you read this. The hermeneutics of charity. Enter in charitably, empathetically with Oriole's experience. But the hermeneutics of suspicion, what we should practice with every every first person narrator, might be a little bit perspectival, unreliable. Um, uh, um, yeah, might might have have. Uh, there might be ways of seeing it, seeing their perspective from other angles, and maybe questioning questioning it. So in the uh, online discussion, Lacey, Lacey posted this, and I, I like this. I just wanted to point this, at least this one out. She draws from page 77. She says, on the first page of, the ch of chapter 7, it says, Then I realized somewhat slowly that, at, that all this time she had been petting and comforting me as if it were I who was the child and the victim. And this, even in the midst of the great anguish, made its own eddy of pain. It was so unlike the sort of love that used to be between us in our happy times. Lacey writes this in response, and I want you to hear this because this is really perceptive, I think. Lacey says, This passage says a lot about Oriole's love for Psyche because Oriole has always been like a mother to Psyche. I think it pains her to see the roles reversed because she has always been the one to care and comfort after Psyche. She practically raised her. She was the mother. As you said in one of your podcasts, it's kind of like when Tony, what, what Toni Morrison spoke of, mother love. Oriole has mother love for Psyche. And as Paul D. would put it, her love is too thick. How would Lacey describe Oriole's love for Psyche? Brilliantly by playing the game of sort of bridge builder between texts, she would say, I think her love might be too thick. I love that. Thank you, Lacey. Um, there are other passages that a number of you pointed out. Here is, uh, here's, here's one um, that I want to highlight. 
It is from, I believe, Jason chose this one. Simple quote on page 87, or his page 87. I only see that you have never loved me, said I. It may well be you are going to the gods. You are becoming cruel like them. This is in the interview in chapter 7, or the, the interaction in chapter 7 between Oriole and Psyche. I only see that you have never loved me, said I. It may well be that you are going to the gods. You are becoming cruel like them. What provokes Oriole to say such a thing? As Psyche doesn't respond in the way that Oriole expects and begins talking about how she has always sort of had this yearning, she says those words. So Jason says this, I chose this quote as it shows how human Oriole is in the book. Her emotions take control and she lashes out when under pressure, just as most people would in this situation. This also reveals where her mistrust and hatred of the gods come from, uh, from, from that, that was alerted or alluded to earlier in the book, as this is the first time where her hatred of the god boils over into a pure insult towards them whilst arguing with her sister. She basically, right, Jason is saying, she basically is saying, you're just like the, you're acting just like the gods. Um, uh, cruelty. This passage also gives the reader um, also gives the reader a reason to root for Oriole to find Psyche again as she needs to find closure and, a, and in an extension the reader will want to see closure. I like that. Um, so uh, in response to that Lorraine wrote this in response to uh, what Jason writes. She says this and I really like what Lorraine says. Jason, this is so good. We often read books and forget that these people, <laughs> I love that Lorraine calls them people, these characters are come alive like people when the authors uh, capture them really well, as Lewis and all of the authors in, in this semester have done. When they, they bring them to life, and so we think of them as people, <laughs> right? We often read books and forget that these people can have real feelings and we can see those emotions coming alive during this part of the book. Oriole is a very real character, and I sympathize with her. I don't think she's entirely out of line in her hatred towards the gods. First, we know her own mother died. Second, we know that her stepmother and Psyche's mother has died. And third, the gods are taking her beloved sister away from her. She has the right to be angry with the gods of our book. I wonder how this event will affect Oriole and the rest of the book. I like that observation. How do you think it has affected her? Well, remember page one of the book? This is a person who is extremely bitter with the gods, right? And uh, in the rest of the book, we're, we're going to see, does she get any more evidence to, to suspect that the gods are somehow different than, than what she's thought? Well, when you even make it through chapter 15, what do you think? It seems like she, on from one perspective, she has even more ammunition for her anger against the gods. One of the reasons she might be angry with against the gods, anger, angry against the gods, is because why do they let her see the palace for just a little bit and then it fades into the in, into the into nothing? Why why would you why would they do that? Why would they have why would they allow it to rain on her sister Psyche and for Oriole to see that it's raining on her sister Psyche and her sister Psyche saying I'm. It, what are you talking about? I'm inside my palace right now. Why would they do that? Um, and so that you can understand, like, what, what, what's going on there? 
here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Why is Oriol unable to see what Psyche does see? Very literally, right? Can't see what Psyche can see. But on the figurative level, for some reason, Oriol cannot see what Oriol can see. She is blinded in some, by something. By what? By her need love for her sister Psyche. She is blinded by her need love for her sister Psyche so that she is unable to see what her sister Psyche sees. Is that possible? Are we unable to see the gods? Are we unable to see God sometimes in part because our focus is so earthly or so self-focused or so caught up on the, the things we value most? Like, I love the situation that I have right now with my best friend, my significant other, my beloved sister who gives me purpose and meaning or whatever, that I couldn't imagine that the gods might desire her, that God might desire my son, my child for himself and some path that might, in, 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 in some regards, physically separate me from my beloved. Is it possible that that ever happens? I think so. I want to point out one more chapter. Most, many of the, many of you, you probably noticed, chose passages from chapter seven, but I think there are some terrific ones in in chapter ten. And Summer uh, took hers from chapter ten. Long before I could speak, she said, "Sister, what have they done to you? Your face, your eye? Has he been beating you again?" Then I realized, somewhat slowly, that all this time she had been. I'm sorry, that's a mistake. I should uh, correct that. I, summer, this is from chapter, this is from chapter uh, uh, seven, actually. Um, so let me, let me, let me pause. I didn't mean to read Summer's. I meant to actually read Amy's. <laughs> so correction here. I could edit this out, but better, better not, um, better not try. Okay, so this was Amy's uh, passage, and it comes in chapter ten. But I couldn't believe in it at all. I couldn't understand how I ever had. All that, all my old longings were cleaned on. So this is an end of the quote from Psyche and follows it up with this. I pressed her hands and said nothing, but inwardly I rejoiced. It might have been good, I don't know, to encourage that fancy the night before the offering if it supported her. Now I was glad she got over it. It was a thing I could not, I could not like unnatural, estranging. Uh, yeah, perhaps this gladness of mine is one of the things the gods have against me. They never tell. Amy says this, I think this passage reveals Oriole's selfishness when it comes to her sister Psyche, because she would rather have Psyche be upset about her fate since it meant, meant their separation. She is glad to see Psyche's old longings were cleaned on. Her holding back this joyful response shows that she understands her response is selfish. She understands that sharing this response would be looked down upon by Psyche. This response is also ironic, considering that we find out at the end of the chapter that they are in Psyche's palace, but Oriole does not realize it. As much as Oriole wants to be a part of Psyche's life, there is a separation between them now. And this separation is the last thing that Oriole would have wanted since the love she has for her sister is so possessive.
here and he uses that word possessive you remember that word from beloved right Oriwell's love for for her sister is possessive and it comes clear in a passage like that one where Oriel expresses um, inward rejoicing that Psyche has actually actually um, saying I, I couldn't actually I couldn't believe in all of my old uh, senses sense of the gods now this happens as she's you know being she's tied there to to the post and or, or to the to the tree and she's starting to doubt the things that she she thought she believed um, so anyways uh, I, I really like that one because it really Amy hits it it really reveals something striking about Oriole the 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 striking thing being of course Oriole's love good word selfish possessive right self-focused and possessive Oriole doesn't realize this at this moment and that's the thing right that's where our hermeneutics of suspicion comes out and we start to go man uh it's how does she not see this as she's narrating this 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 story of herself but isn't that the way right oftentimes we get so convinced of our own perspective on things that we fail to see uh you know what what's really obvious to anyone else when when we're when we're articulating our complaint or whatever i think of dr phil right yeah that guy you know he has he has people on his tv show sometimes and he lets people talk and they just talk and they're talking and, he, and the more they talk the, the more the audience kind of goes oh my gosh whoa you know and and then he pauses and stops and he says do you hear the words coming out of your mouth you know where he's like if you just listen to yourself doesn't it sound awful when you say it and wonder if that might not be happening as Oriole writes her complaint against the gods. All right, so pressing on, here's what you read uh, for for today's uh, reading and did your journal in today's reading. And by the way, I'll make a follow-up video after you submit your journals and and share it with you by Friday, a, uh, a video of some sort with some of the artwork that you have done. Um, so chapter 11, Oriole and Psyche argue about the existence of Psyche's palace. Oriole accuses Psyche of pretending Psyche says she will implore her husband, the god, to let Oriole see the palace. Oriole becomes jealous for Psyche now belongs to another, not to Oriole. Psyche herself, on the god's strict orders, has never seen him. She's only felt him as he comes to her at night. It starts to rain. Psyche says they're under a porch of the palace and Oriole sees the raindrops on her cheeks. Oriole tries to force her to come home, but Psyche's too strong. And Bardia won't come and help Oriole. Psyche sends Oriole away, but she says that she can come as soon uh, again soon. Chapter 12, Oriole camps with Bardia on the ridge over the hidden valley. At night, in the storm and fog, she catches, after she takes a drink of the, the, the stream, gets up to take a drink, she gets a fleeting glimpse of the huge marble palace the god prepared for Psyche. But then she doubts her own eyes, and then she doubts her doubt. As she journeys home, Oriole asks Bardia his opinion about Psyche, but he's non-committal. He doubts that Psyche is mad or lying. Uh, and as for the affairs of the gods, he says it's just not for him to say. Oriole thinks Psyche may be the bride of a monster, and she resolves to kill her, if necessary, to save her from such a desecration as that. She will sacrifice even Psyche's obvious happiness uh, to save her from being raped repeatedly by uh, some 
in, some some vagabond who's tricked her, right? Or, uh, con, uh, yeah. So chapter thirteen, back in Gloam, the fox gives Oriol uh, a rational explanation for the whole thing. Psyche's just with some vagabond on a mountain who found her so crazed, tied to a tree that he could seduce her and make her believe anything. And that Psyche is just fantasizing. And the trick of the vagabond is just, you never look at me. And he tells her the story uh, 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 that he's really a god and that there really is a palace. And she comes to believe it. Um, they agree that Psyche has to be brought away. But the fox is going to have none of Oriole's plan to kill Psyche, if necessary, to save, save her honor. Alone, Oriole prays to the gods, inwardly conflicted. Uh, sorry, uh, prays to the gods for a sign. Uh, and, and doesn't doesn't get one. Bardia's and the fox's two explanations seem mutually contradicted, uh, contradictory to her. So she's she's conflicted about this. Her generous self says, "Don't meddle with it. Anything could be true. Leave psyche to her happiness." But her possessive love wins out. She says she must be stern. Love must be stern. Something like, "Would a father see his his own only daughter happy as a whore?" No, love. Love sometimes, real love, has to be stern, and you protect. Chapter 14. Since Bardia must guard the palace while the king is lion hunting, Oriol is accompanied in her second trip up the mountain by the silent Graham. She finds Psyche with their dispute. Finds Psyche in their dispute uh, just starts right up again. Psyche won't obey her command to return, so Oriol thrusts a dagger through her own arm, warning Psyche that the next time she'll, she will kill herself. And Psyche, too, obviously, in the opposite order. Kill Psyche and then kill herself. This threat becomes the blackmail by which she gets Psyche to agree to disobey her god. And look at his face that very night by the light of the lamp. Think about what she's just done. She has manipulated her sister's love for her by threatening to kill her and kill herself. And Psyche says something really striking there. The real threat is in your own, is in your attempt, uh, suggesting that you'll kill yourself. You, don't, you could have spared like that you were going to kill me. Um, uh, think, think about that. If you don't do this, I will intentionally bring harm to myself. Because the one who loves you uh, does not want you to see you bring harm to yourself, they become willing to violate their own conscience, their own understanding. And that's what happens. So camping on the ridge with Graham in chapter 15, Oriole sees Psyche's lamp across the valley. Then, as the god awakes, a storm, a, 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 a massive storm breaks loose, and the palace crumbles. The whole of nature just enraged. The god appears. The face of a god appears and speaks to Oriol. She tells her of Psyche's unhappy, or the god tells her of Psyche's unhappy, happy fate now, and of Oriol's own fate. Oriole cannot find Psyche. She only hears her go off weeping into exile. And Oriole sees now that the gods are her enemies. This chapter 15 is really important. It, 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 what, the god, what the god looks like, what she sees when she sees the face of the god, it's not a terror. It's not a, it's not a horrific, awful shadow brute. It's a face of one so beautiful that it's, it's, it's overpowering and stunning. Read the passage again. Um, you'll see what Oriole sees when she sees the face of a god. The voice is uh, one that says, um, now Psyche has to go out into exile, um, and there are those that I cannot 
fight against on her behalf that she'll have to face. You, woman, shall know yourself and your work. You also shall be psyche. What a line, right? Um, what a line. You, woman, shall know yourself and your work. You also shall be psyche. What in the world does that mean? Well, that's what the rest of the novel is going to set us up to try to figure out. Ori will then, of course, is going to return back to Gloam, Psyche gone, the palace gone. Ori will aware that apparently there really are gods, of course, and that this god doesn't match what she thought of her, and yet this god was stern. Um, and in and, and its, and its speech to her, you woman shall know yourself and your work. You also shall be psyche. What does that mean? Well, or we'll puzzle over that in the next chapters. But for today, sorry for the low production quality on this podcast, but for today, that's it. Um, you should uh, take the quick quiz at the end of this um, podcast. The answer is uh, to, to the to the podcast question, of course, is what does the God say? What does the God say to Oriol? What is she going to know? That's that's your answer, right? What is she going to know? You woman shall know yourself and your work. You also shall be psyche. There you go. Uh, good. Uh, I'll uh, post uh, another. I'll post a video for Friday's class. But uh, take the quiz uh, here on on Canvas. <music>